Epigenetics Podcast Episode 15. Welcome to the 15th episode of the Epigenetics Podcast. My name is Stefan and I'm part of the technical support and marketing team of Active Motif. Our special guest for this episode is Shelley Berger from the University of Pennsylvania. And I'm happy to talk to you now during the Ambo and Ambo Symposium, Metabolism and Meets Epigenetics. Thank you, Shelley, for joining me today. Oh, it's a real pleasure to be here. Uh, please let me quickly introduce you to our audience. You earned your PhD from the University of Michigan and were a postdoc at the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. You then, you then went to the Wistar, I don't know how to pronounce that, Institute, where you were professor from 2003 to 2009. And then you moved uh, to the University of Pennsylvania, where you became professor and director, and there you are still today. Yep. A question I like to ask every guest to start off our little podcast is, how did you become interested in biology and then in pursuing a career in science? I mean, being interested in biology is the one thing, but then doing science and a career in science is the other thing. Yes. Well, I started... Um As when I was an undergrad at University of Michigan, um, I became really interested in um, organismal biology, a study of uh, behavior in in uh, in mammals, and um, that um, I then did some field work uh, that it really fascinated me, and I found that it was actually moved too slowly for me. So <laughs> I left that area and I ended up in molecular biology. Uh, still at the University of Michigan is my PhD. I fell in love with gene regulation. I wanted to know how genes were turned on and off, and that's really propelled my work ever since, uh, leading then into chromatin biology and epigenetics. So that's what really thrills me. Okay. So yeah, you moved then to epigenetics chromatin, and in 2009 you were amongst the authors of an operational definition of epigenetics, um, with a de definition being an epigenetic trait is a stably heritable phenotype resulting from changes in a chromosome without alterations in the DNA sequence. Um, why did you think that at this time it was necessary to redefine or define um, this term? And uh, would you still agree with this definition today, like 10 years later? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, yeah, I think I, you know, the the field um, the field of uh, chromatin biology really likes to distinguish between uh, chromatin mechanisms and epigenetic inheritance, and really try to keep those separate. Um, so it's very important to think about the heritability that either in mitosis or in meiosis that you're going to make some changes. They're going to be located at specific loca uh, re regions in a in the chromosome and in the in the in the entire genome, and then in order to establish and maintain cell identity, they have to be maintained from generation to generation. So we real mm -hmm. there are a lot of changes that regulate the regulate regulate the genome that are changes in chromatin, but we like to reserve for the word epigenetics those that are heritable. So, so do you mean like organismal heritable or like from mother cell to daughter cell? Probably that's the one. Exactly. So we're talking about both. We're talking about cell identity that we begin with one as one cell, a union of a sperm and an egg, um, and then that that cell has to um, has to differentiate into all the two hundred different cell types in our bodies, and each cell type has to be maintained. 
And so some genes have to be on and others have to be permanently off. And so um, that's one type of inheritance that's help, you know, that's embodied in the chromatin, in the epigenome, in the chromatin. And then the, the second, the, the other type, uh, is through meiosis from, which is much more controversial, by the way, (laughs) we still don't understand very well, uh, what exactly are the mechanisms that lead to inheritance across generations? Um, the, the normal developmental, um, mechanisms and then the abnormal ones that might be coming through from uh from imp- you know poor environment in in a previous generation and then and then get carried through to a um later generation but it's very mysterious and still <laughs> controversial that's true then after that in the following years you focused on chromatin and epigenetics also in the context of aging and senescence um, among others <laughs> obviously um, and in a publication from 2011 you and your team describe cytoplasmic chromatin fragments um, how do they arise and what is their function or yeah. how can you describe them yes so in 2011 we were working with Peter Adams lab he he was um He was the senior author, actually, on that yep. on that initial paper. I believe it was 2013, and um, there, um, his his group saw that there were um, that during senescence, during um, uh, this time where cells withdraw from the cell cycle because of certain types of stress, uh, such as oncogenes being activated um, or um, DNA damage, um, if it's severe enough. Um, The cells um, withdraw from the cell cycle. They go into the senescence pathway. And one really remarkable thing that that Peter's lab found, and we participated in that study, is the finding of these um, chromatin fragments that are blebbed, you know, the, these nuclear blebs that come out from the nuclear um, membrane, and they include DNA and histone proteins and, heterochro- and, some, and some heterochromatin, such as lamin B1. So that was really interesting, and then my lab sort of took over the study, and and we we studied that in even more detail, and we found that um, that in this two th- in the 2015 study um, in in Nature that um, there's an autophagy pathway that originate we we you know classically you think of autophagy as occurring in the cytoplasm, but we found that the origin of those cytoplasmic chromatin fragments was um, a nuclear localized autophagy targeting protein that um, that it, through ways that we're still trying to investigate yeah. through the precise mechanisms that that it, it leads to the the loss of integrity of the chromatin we call it um, lack of chromostasis if you will um, and then this uh, this this blubbing of the of the nuclear membrane so that was really interesting. And and was one of several studies that came out around the same time. Um, actually, the, <laughs> that's not true. The, it's the next study that that I'll, I'll tell you about that went on. Just go ahead. You're going to ask just, me about. Yeah, just go ahead. Right. So in 2017, we went on to um to to study what um what is the consequence of this nuclear blebbing and the extrusion of DNA and chromatin into the cytoplasm and we found that it um it it 
the, the DNA is recognized by a very ancient um, alarm system that, uh, that's in the cytoplasm, which is called C-gas sting. And, because and it shouldn't be there, right? <laughs> exactly. So it's tapping. So that system is in place to, 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 to recognize and alert, and alert the cell to um, pathogens coming in, D, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, bacteria sure, and viruses yeah. that are going to put DNA into the cell. So the cell has repurposed this ancient um, mechanism and used it to, um, to, to recognize that the cell, something very bad's happening in the <laughs> nucleus. The DNA's come out into the cytoplasm. DNA's recognized by the system and it taps into, again, this system that's been in place that is, it turns on, um, it releases NF-kappa B, a transcription factor from a negative complex in the cytoplasm. It goes back to the nucleus and then it turns on a whole bunch of inflammatory oh, yeah. genes, which are really important for, for cell aut autonomous infl inflammation to fight Again, bacteria and viruses, but here it's going to help to fight cancer, let's say an unactivated oncogene in the nucleus. So it's a really interesting thing. And, and then I'll just say that there were a number of groups that had, uh, have, be, have been observing that different types of DNA coming from the nucleus are dumping into this pathway. Okay. Uh, what, what leads to this, um, like blobbing, as you say it, Right. Or to the segregation of DNA into the cytoplasm, does this happen by chance, or, or what is when the cell gets too old and then DNA breaks, or was this, what is the reason for? No, it, I mean the system. I, I think it's a purposeful system to um, to detect, you know, bad stuff happening, the activation of an oncogene. I mean, we don't know all the steps mm -hmm. of how this blebbing occurs. It's a mystery. So. It, the way to think about it and the way to think about senescence is that in the short term, it's a good thing because if there's an oncogene, uh, an activated oncogene, you want to clear that from the system. So, so you turn on these inflammatory pathways and that, that leads to the immune cells coming in and clearing those activated oncogene cells, right? So that's a very good thing. But here comes the <laughs> aging part in the long term that degradation that occurs as a consequence of losing the chromatin and uh, inflammation leads to aging, tissue aging. Um, a question that I had later on in, 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 this, in, in, in mind um, is that, that you also published a study that um, senescent cells harbor feature of the gen cancer epigenome so that um, in general those cells seem to be some kind of alike so that first they age and then they get cancerous or, or what is the connection here? Right. So that, that is still, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because, um, as I, I said, um, the, the, the initial response is a positive response for the cell because there's an, let's say there's an activated oncogene and you want to get rid of that cell. Then as the cells age, um, as, as the, the organism age, those, um, senescent cells start to accumulate and they cause tissue damage then ultimately in a kind of, um, you know, um, a, a strange um, turnaround, the, um, the, the inflammatory pathways then lead to cancer because too much inflammation we now know yeah. is one of the one of the causes of cancer. Uh, what kind of epigenetic mechanisms or factors uh, are involved in those processes? W which which process? Oh, which... 
histone post-translational ah, modifications okay. or, or something, mm -hmm. what, what factors are, yeah. are things to look at here in this, those processes. Right. So in, the, in these nuclear blebs, we find heterochromatic uh, type m modifications such as um, H3K27 trimethylation, which is a mark of facultative heterochromatin, genes that are turned off. Um, we also find um, K9 trimethylation, which is uh, constitutive heterochromatin that you find at, um, nucle at the nucleolus and at the, at the yeah. and, and all of these you find, you find at the lamina, the outside of the nucleus, where there's a lot of heterochromatin, and yes, that's yeah. why you see them in the, in the, um, in, in, the, in the cytoplasm. Um, you also investigated like Lamin B1 because obviously this is when the heterochromatin goes to the, the lamina, then Lamin B1 must also be uh, in, yeah, exactly. involved we, in those processes. Right. But, uh, we, we don't know exactly how all of this happens. We're very interested in, say, for example, what are the, um, what are the enzymes that cut the DNA? You know, so we're screening for those now. How, how does this all happen, you know? Um, so it's very, it's still mysterious. A <laughs> yeah. lot, of, lot of questions. Um, for, you also published individual studies on the role of H3K37 and H4K20 K20 trimethylation mm -hmm. in the context of senescence, aging, longevity. Mm -hmm. What functions do those modifications have and how are they influenced? Right. So we're very interested right now. Uh, we published a paper on, on H3K36 um, trimethylation in a simple model organism, Saccharomyces cerevisiae, we found that, um, that that's a mark that occurs um, over, um, over, the, over gene bodies uh, during transcriptional elongation. And we found that um, that, that mark can lead to, um, in aging cells, can lead to the opening up of um, regions within the... Um, within the transcribed part of, mm -hmm. of the gene uh, and lead to their becoming new, uh, new transcriptional initiation sites, TSSs, yeah. transcriptional start sites. And that's bad because now you've got new sites opening up inside genes because of the K36 problems um, leading, to, um, leading to smaller transcripts and maybe smaller proteins. Genome instability? Gene instability, um, yes, that as well. So that's very interesting, and we've been pursuing that um, currently in uh, in mammalian cells as well. We think a very similar mechanism occurs during senescence um, in in higher cells, yeah. more complex. Uh, to, to finish off this part about aging, uh, you published a review on epigenetic mechanisms of longevity and aging in cell. Um, based on that, what would you consider the main epigenetic factors influencing senescence, aging, and can you give us maybe a short glimpse into, uh, into the future? Uh, sure, yeah, very interesting. So there, you know, there are many, um, many mechanisms underlying aging, um, you know, that it's a whole field unto itself, yeah. and epigenetics is only one aspect of all of the different types of cellular processes that go awry, proteins start to be a problem, met metabolism starts to be a problem. Um, so I, you know, my, my, uh, my feeling is that um, there's probably a host of problems that are occurring with, um, with the chromatin. I think the main 
problem is that it's opening up where it shouldn't yeah. be open during satellite aging. repeats uh, being transcribed. repeats being transcribed um heterochromatin which is over repeats um heterochromatin over at you know at the at the nuclear matrix um this is all opening up leading to the sorts of um things we're talking about and also it's been known um through our work and others work in the field that histone proteins themselves are are going down. So I think that many of the histone modifications that lead to opening up of chromatin, um, loss of, say, sirtuins and gain of, you know, acetylation and other, you know, methylation marks, um, they're, all, they're all working together, sadly, or, you know, un uh, unfortunately, to open up the chromatin, leading to um, loss of loss of histones themselves. So I and and I you know just to just to do a shout out to this meeting. Um, this meeting is about the uh, interaction between metabolism and epigenetics. I think that metabolic changes are going to have a huge impact. Metabolic changes as we age are going to have a huge impact on the epigenome because cofactors produced in 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 the mitochondria. And in my own work, um, some of the some of the metabolic uh, enzymes are actually in the nucleus itself, mm -hmm. producing cofactors. Um, all of these metabolic cofactors are, you know, signaling, controlling, regulating, and donating um, acetyl-CoA and S-adenosylmethionine for these modifications. And I think the metabolic pathways are breaking down. Yeah, okay. as aging occurs. So I think it's a huge area of interest and it's going to be more and more important. This meeting is quite timely in that sense. And this is like the metabolism is where the environment comes in, right? Because it's, it's all connected also to the outside then. Exactly, exactly. So in fact, I was talking at this meeting about um, the effect yeah. of alcohol. Alcohol is broken down in our liver into acetate. And we found in a mouse model that the acetate um, is actually transported through the body up to the brain, goes into neuronal cells, into the, into the nucleus where one of these nuclear metabolic enzymes that uses acetate and converts it to acetyl-CoA then talks to an epigenetic enzyme, CBP, to make um, H3K27 uh, acetylation, which is a key modification and enhancers. So have a little more beer because that's going to help you to learn a little bit, a little bit of beer, not too much. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's, that's uh, like what everybody's talking about. How much can you drink a day that <laughs> to, right. make, to make it like a positive effect or when does it become right. a negative effect? Right, right. It's a great question. And our pathway is only one of other pathways that are known. Alcohol goes directly to your brain, binds to receptors, and that's not good. Yeah. So I'm Don't not... <laughs> right. So you're probably better off taking acetate rather than alcohol. Acetate yes. directly <laughs> rather <laughs> than alcohol. So you, you were talking about your, your talk that you gave. It's like you were the keynote speaker of this meeting. Uh, unfortunately, I was not, not here uh, listening to your talk, but um, you, you said, you just told me that it was about ANS. You did the study in ANS. Is that correct? Yes. One part was about ants, right? Why is ants so yep. so nice to yep. to study? I mean, they are small. Okay, I get it. <laughs> and they are there is abundant. Uh, no, individual. that's not the reason. There are lots of small, <laughs> small 
possible mortal, model organisms. The amazing thing about ants is that um, they, um, th the colony is, uh, you can think of the colony epigenetically as analogous to our bodies. Society. Bodies, okay. Our, as our bodies. The way we came from one cell, uh, one original cell, so our genomes are exact, genotype is identical in every cell type yeah. in our bodies, and you have to turn some genes on and some genes off. In the ant colony, all the ants that you see are female. They all share the same genome. One is a queen. She does all the reproduction. And then in the one I reported on in my talk um, at the meeting, there are two workers. One is a soldier, female, mm -hmm. female soldier. And the other, she guards the colony. And the other one is a forager. She goes out and finds food and comes back and, and shares it um, and tells others about where to find it. So these individual female ants share the same genome. genome but they are completely phenotypically different both in their behavior and with respect to what you've been asking me about in today um they age at a remarkably different uh rates so the queen um i'll start with the with the workers they live about 1 year each okay, yeah the queen can live in in the species i was talking about 30 uh, 30 years or more that's that's remarkable. Yeah. Exactly. So that's an epigenetically defined aging process that's yeah. really different. Now there are males; they live about two months. Oh, <laughs> Sorry about but, but that. They, but they are then genetically different. They are haploid. It's a haploid oh, okay. diploid uh, sex determination system. There's a whole interesting biology around that that we won't get into. But the males um, really are pretty much donating sperm to the queen. So. <laughs> That's the male's role. So how do you keep those ants? Right. So we have an ant room, much like um, you mouse those, room, <laughs> mouse facility. No? Well, it's you know it's a smaller you know some it's a room with uh, w where we store plastic um, boxes. It's humidity controlled, and the ants can't escape. Um, and there are, there are boxes where we where we have the queen and all the workers. Um, we have lots of experiments running. Um, and then we have um, small boxes where we can carry out specific behavioral assays, such as um, a foraging assay. And what we've done behaviorally in the ants is we've um, we've used um, epigenetic um, epi you know epigenetic therapeutics um, um, HDAC inhibitors yeah. to um, alter the the behavior. So we've we've reprogrammed the soldier into a forager. So that's. That's pretty fascinating. <laughs> yeah, that, um, that's true. Yeah. So, so you are manipulating epigenetics to exactly. manipulate behavior. Yep. That's, that's exactly uh, right. How many ants do you have in in your colonies compared to the wildlife colonies? Oh, geez. Is, um, it, is it like comp not comparable? I guess the size of the colony. Yeah. Um, that's a good question. This particular species, I think, can get pretty big, yeah. probably in the many, many, many thousands. Our colonies are around a thousand, probably. Okay. Um, so, but it's you know, it's a fascinating epigenetic question. How how is this um, how is this behavioral programming occurring? And so we're using this reprogramming to understand the natural programming. And and what we've discovered most that recently, we just had a paper out uh, this week or uh, last oh, that's, week. That's great. Yeah. I will I will link to that in, in the okay. comments. Okay. Yep. Um this this paper describes the mechanism and it's 
it's incredible because it's an epigenetic mechanism. Yeah. It's a repression mechanism of an ep bringing uh, bringing in epigenetic. You and know, what kind of factors are are involved? So um, one is um, is actually an HDAC, yeah. um, RPD3. It's called in, you know, in Saccharomyces cerevisiae, and same name is used in ants and, and Drosophila and flies. Um, so it's like HDAC1, mm -hmm. HDAC2. And then another one is um, LSD1, which removes um, H, uh, uh, H3K4 um, trimethylation. Okay. So those are sort of a combinatorial repression mechanism, remove... Um, Uh, repress, um, right, um, uh, bring in HDACs, bring in HDACs to take down acetylation and bring in a, a methylation enzymes, a, meth a demethylase to take out a oh, yeah. activating okay. yeah. histone mm -hmm. mark. Yeah. So it's working together to repress. So we're, I'm uh, stunned because getting back to my history, about 15 years ago, I was walking in the Costa Rican rainforest with my husband and daughter and saw the leafcutter ants there, which are, they have about 10 different casts of behavioral yeah, differences. Yeah. And at that moment, I looked at them and said, I want to study those. And I'll bet anything, it's an epigenetic mechanism. <laughs> I knew that they were highly, yeah. they shared a genome. Yeah, sure. So it may, must now be. we're 15 years later and it, well, it's an epigenetic mechanism. When did you start using ants as a model organism? Um, it's about um, maybe 11, uh, 10, 11 years ago now. Oh. And it was a collaboration with Danny Reinberg. We, yeah. we worked yeah. together to develop the ants as a, as, a, as a study organism for epigenetics. I mean, others have studied ants, yeah. uh, but not, not mm -hmm. from the point of view of epigenetics. But yeah, as you said, it must be pretty obvious to, to think about it this way. Mm -hmm. um, um, how is it different to use ants compared to mice? Or Well, um, Mice are, you know, they're obviously they're mammals, so there's yeah, a, yeah, sure. there's even a lot there's a lot more a lot more interesting biology in the brain. But you know, the ants are a pretty good model. We're um, we're doing single cell RNA sequencing and single cell ATAC sequencing now on the brains, and we're learning about how that the mechanism that I was describing a few minutes ago, how that's segregated between. Uh, different cell types in the brain. Um, so uh, similar things are being done in mice. I mean, I think ants yeah. provide a really, I, you know, I encourage everybody out there <laughs> to um, think about ants. Uh, we're happy to have more people studying ants as a model. Uh, where do you think this is going now with your ant studies? Where do you want to go? Right. So, um, you know, one can think about, so what we, another thing that we found with the reprogramming assay is that, um, The reprogramming only occurs uh, when the um, soldier ants are um, newly hatched from their pupil case. So their brains appear to be very plastic um, then. So, but by 10 days after um, hatching, they no longer can be reprogrammed. So then the fate is set. The fate seems to be set. So one um, interesting parallel and one of the reasons we're interested in the ants is that they I mean they're endlessly fascinating to humans why because we look at their behavior and say oh that's like human society yeah. we divide up our um, jobs in in you know in a society to, so that some people are teachers and others are are um, you know driving buses etc yeah, etc yeah. so how can we use the um, ants to reflect that so 
One idea is that um, humans are very plastic all the way through adolescence. I think there's pretty good data mm-hmm. about that now. And so the question is, are some of these mechanisms at play even when, um, even when you know, humans are young and, you know, okay. and mm-hmm. growing through early adolescence? So that's one really interesting thing. The other thing is we're really going after the aging in the ants yeah, because... Yeah. In fact, um, shout out to uh, National Institutes of Aging at the National Institutes of Health in the United States. Even though we're studying ants, they are funding us and Danny's lab as well to study aging in the ants, recognizing that it's a really great model system for trying to understand the epigenetic regulation of aging. So, so uh, the factors that you describe is like the HDECs are involved, the demethylases are involved, but yep. just the special regions, right? Because if you demethylate an hydrochromatin, then it has probably a, d- a different effect. Right. Absolutely. So we, um, we do ChIP-seq uh, to, um, to find where, where this co-repressor complex is binding to the, to the genome. And we know that it's, um, it's down-regulating. Um, I don't want to get into the details of the further downstream pathway, but it's basically controlling a hormonal pathway okay. that's required to make forager. Yeah. And so we're... And this is all, like, all related to the brain? It's all in the yeah. brain. Yeah. All this work is being... I'm, we're doing all the work in the brain. So we think that um, this repressive um, complex is uh, regulating import, this important pathway. And what's what we've discovered is that... Um, the same epigenetic pathway that's being we're tapping into in the reprogramming of soldiers into foragers is the natural pathway that's regulating foraging in the natural forager cast. So using this, this really interesting reprogramming assay, we've, we've figured out what the natural programming is, which is kind of what yeah. we all want to know. Yeah. How, how are, and how, how is behavior programmed? What would be then the translation to the human f- like translating this uh, hormonal pathway to human and making the drug to inhibit like aging or, or what would be... Th- ah, on the aging side. Or or what mm-hmm. would be the, the goal on right. of that translating it to the human or finally? Yep. Yeah. Um, on the behavioral side, you know, I hesitate to make any, you know, yeah. uh, to, to, to describe how we would use this pathway. We certainly don't want to control behavior. But to understand behavior, I think, is um, a really important and interesting question. On the aging side, um, we definitely would like to um, use all the work we've found um, in aging. Excuse me. All the work we've found in aging and all these pathways we've been talking about, um, K36 methylation, um, loss of histones, um, uh, and, um, you know, all these new pathways in, in... Uh, senescence, we'd like to tap into these. Um, mm-hmm. We're certainly interested in developing those ideas for um, for aging. And I, I should mention that we we also look at um, neurodegeneration. And again, th- it appears that um, one interesting thing in the Alzheimer's area is that um, we all think about plaques and tangles as being involved in neurodegeneration. Um, but those the, the drugs for plaques and tangles have actually failed in the clinic okay. in the last yep. couple of years. Um, and our work, another project in my lab, is to look at the epigenetic profiling of um, of uh, of Alzheimer's disease, human por- postmortem brains, 
uh, compared to normal, cognitively normal aging and compared to young. And there we see that there are certain epigenetic pathways that are protecting in a cognitively normal brain. And there are other epigenetic pathways that are driving the okay. problems mm-hmm. in neurodegeneration. So we think we can uh, possibly develop, you know, develop drugs to these epigenetic enzymes that are involved. So, so they, that's they in, really exciting. inhibit those plaques then? It, the well, formation? not the plaques. Now they, we're into the nucleus. We yeah. think the epigenetic oh. changes may be probably upstream. I mean, now we're in yeah. speculation here, but we think that um, they may be upstream okay. of the plaques and yeah, tangles. Yeah, yeah. They are a, a downstream consequence. Dis- d- consequence, you know? So if we can get upstream to the epigenetics and if, if we can get biomarkers, you know, my lab doesn't work on that, but other people work on biomarkers in the blood. If we can spot, you know, neurodegenerative markers, or of course in familial early onset Alzheimer's, we might be able to give low dose, you know, it, um, it, uh, you know, in this case, uh, um, we think CBP is involved yeah. in, in driving aging. Okay. So uh, driving neurodegeneration. So maybe low dose inhibitors to CBP, something like that. Okay. So, so to finish off this interview, I have two more general questions, yep. more like general questions. Um, did you at one point of your career face the situation that you reached a dead end or did not know where to go next? Or, or was it like always, oh, I have so many ideas. I cannot, yes. I, I don't know what mm-hmm. to do first. Uh, definitely everyone everyone encounters uh, the you know the the time where things don't work very well. I like to tell um, postdocs and students in my lab that um, my undergraduate work was uh, my graduate work was not terribly successful, and indeed I also did a one year postdoc that wasn't very successful. I really wanted to study, as I mentioned at the beginning of the interview, what turns genes on and off, and I wasn't quite getting there. And in my second postdoc um, at MIT with Lenny Garente, finally, I was studying um, a very interesting question of um, how to, how to, um, how to, you know, how does transcriptional activation work? And there, um, I worked for a year in trying to develop an assay that was absolutely essential to trying to dissect the actual pro, you know, proteins and mechanisms involved. And I really was faced, I, you know, I had reached the point where um, my advisor and I said, okay, we'll try, I'll try once more. And if it doesn't work, I'm going to abandon this approach. So it, it, it worked. And so <laughs> definitely there was a, a need to, um, a need to stick with it. So really you have to, I tell people that I work with and mentor that it's um, if if you have a passion, um, follow it, and if you reach some problem time, then you know try to <laughs> stick with it. If you love it, it's worth it. Um, it's worth it to stay with it and maybe change the, the environment once. You might change your yeah. environment if you find that it's not the right one and the mentoring isn't good. I encourage yeah. people to think think about that. Um, and f- and try to get to the really novel questions don't don't just you know read the literature and do the next experiment in the line of a series of experiments try to think about fusing fields so this meeting again is a good one for that the fusion of metabolism and epigenetics there's a huge amount yeah. to do there yeah. <laughs> huge yeah. amount there are all kinds of um metabolic enzymes that are actually in the nucleus and we don't know what their precise mechanisms are so yeah So in the last 
what was it, like 33 minutes, uh, we take a journey through your scientific career and we touched some topics of that. Um, can you maybe give a short summary when you look back, what is the like the, the essence of your work? <laughs> and maybe we missed something that you yeah. want to share and then we can share. Yeah. yeah, I think, I guess for me, it's been moving from, well, always uh, interested in mechanisms, but moving from very simple um, organism yeast and then trying to get to more, um, for me, uh, compelling um, physiological questions. Always keeping mechanisms in mind because I love to study mechanisms and try to understand how do things, how does it really happen? What are the, what are the steps in the epigenetic chromatin bio, biological steps? Um, but I think... Um, We're at the stage now where, you know, with CRISPR, we can we can do a lot of really great um, question asking in hypothesis, you know, work and systems biology, broad discovery work in, and in complex need, systems. So, and you don't need a year of cloning to, to get there. <laughs> exactly. You don't need a new year of cloning. You can... You can do CRISPR screening in cells. You can do it in live mice. Um, you know, uh, so all of the things that we were doing in yeast, for example. I mean, there's still great questions in yeast. I don't want to yeah. leave anybody with the idea that I don't support um, model organism research. I definitely do. Um, where where yeast is the right organism to ask the question, yeah. I think it's good to use that. In fact, we have one experiment going on in my lab right now where we're studying a very basic mechanism using okay. yeast. We went back to yeast from mouse okay, because that's a great... So I would say that um, that uh, the, the my journey is to find um, great questions, uh, try to find novel questions. You know, what are the next questions? It isn't like, what is the very next question, but... What are the what are the real puzzles out big, there? The big pictures. <laughs> what are the big picture, and then um, and then to um, find the organism that is appropriate. So ant turns out to be a great organism to study complex sociality, and even aging in the context of you know complex sociality. If you want to study mammalian behavior, well, you got to go to mouse. That's the right organism to do it. So we're using mouse for our behavioral work. So I think that's my sort of uh, overall message. So thank you very much for, for being available for this interview, even on this short notice. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah, my pleasure. This was the 15th episode of the Epigenetics Podcast. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. We are happy to receive your feedback on Twitter, Facebook or LinkedIn. If you have any further questions, you can also reach out to me at podcast.activemotif.com. You can download the podcast also via iTunes. For more great epigenetics content, check out the Active Motif blog, Motivations, at activemotif.com slash blog. Thanks for listening and stay tuned.